spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy. And for others, save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others, have mercy with fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. So we just read Jude 17 through 23, and this is the application section of Jude's letter. Or in other words, the instruction manual on how to contend for the faith against the impostors. This is a section in which Jude, who loves combinations of three, gives his readers three commands on how they must contend for the faith against the impostors who have crept into the church unnoticed. So, first command, Jude 17 through 19. Jude commands the church to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second command, Jude 20 through 21. Jude commands the church to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then third, Jude 22 through 23. Jude commands the church to have mercy on all the unbelievers who have been being led astray by the impostors. <clears throat> so Jude, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these three imperatives that the church must follow obediently to contend earnestly for the faith. On last time, we spent some time answering the question, what does Jude mean when he writes, keep yourselves in the love of God? The simple meaning is to keep yourself in the sphere or circle of God's love in such a way that God increases your experience of his love to the point that his love is overflowing in and upon you, which in turn causes you to continually love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jude 20 through 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So this is that second part of Jude's application section where Jude gives that second of three commands to the church on how they must contend for the faith. With this command, Jude gives the church three secondary commands in order to be obedient to this command and how to follow this command while staying spiritually healthy. So that primary command that we just talked about, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then you have these participles, Greek participles or secondary commands, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. In other words, Jude gives the command to the church to keep yourselves in the love of God, but Jude does not leave the church in the dark on how to keep yourselves in the love of God. So Jude, how can the church keep themselves in the love of God? 
Jude's answer comes in a pattern of three. You keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up on your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So on last time we looked at that first participle, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And today we're going to look at the second participle, praying in the Holy Spirit. So as we look at these participles individually, we should notice that although they are all secondary commands in order to help us to obey the primary command, which is to keep ourselves in the love of God, we see in the scriptures that when you obey these participles in the order that Jude writes them, they actually complement one another and cause us to grow in our obedience to them in such a way that they are not only commands that are to be obeyed, but they are new desires, they are privileges that cause us to become more Christ-like and protect us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. So I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians. We'll just take a quick look at this. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before God, before our God and Father, knowing, brothers, beloved by God, your election. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Having received the word much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of entrance we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And we've already heard Greg preach through that, most of us. But if you go back and you take the time to study these verses, you will see that the word of the gospel, faith, comes with power to build up the elect, which brings the joy in the Holy Spirit, praising God, or praying in the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God, which causes the elect to wait for his son from heaven. So you see the building, you see the praying, you see the waiting, all in these verses right here in Thessalonians. So back to Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So this secondary command, this participle, praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude commands every believer in the church to pray in the Holy Spirit. This isn't optional. This is everyone. Little children that have been saved, regenerated, pray in the Holy Spirit. Older people, pray in the Holy Spirit. Everyone, pray in the Holy Spirit. 
Paul makes a similar statement as Jude about praying in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit. How do you put on the full armor of God? By praying in the Spirit. This is for every Christian. Every Christian must put on the full armor of God. Every Christian must pray in the Holy Spirit. So, does this mean that every believer must pray or speak in tongues? No, not every believer is given the gift of tongues. Therefore, Jude cannot command every believer to use a gift that God has not given them. Furthermore, Jude has already given the command to the building yourselves up on the most holy faith. Paul said that if a person only speaks in tongues, that person is not building up the church. And as we just read in Paul's words to the Ephesians, we saw that Paul never mentions praying in tongues as part of putting on the full armor of God. So you don't need to pray in tongues to pray in the Spirit. Although, if you have that gift, you're probably praying in the Spirit, if you're praying in tongues. So why do Christians need to be commanded to pray? I mean, shouldn't that just be natural? Why does, why does God command us to pray? It's because of remaining sin in our flesh. We either don't see our need to pray, or we don't believe God will answer our prayers. When Jesus took his disciples to Gethsemane to pray, he had told them what to pray for, and they still fell asleep in their sorrows instead of praying. Even after Jesus woke them up, they still did not continue in prayer. Luke 22, 40. Now when he arrived at that place... He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he went and prayed. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Same picture in Matthew 26, 40 through 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We don't pray because our flesh is weak. 
One man wrote, believers cannot keep themselves in God's love without depending on him by petitioning him in prayer. Love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship with him. And such a relationship is nurtured by prayer. So James points out that remaining sin keeps us from praying. James 4, 1 through 8. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war on your members? You lust and you do not have, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? Towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You see, it's because of sin. We don't draw near and pray as we should. James said right there, the Spirit dwells in us. Yet we're still not drawing near to God. Humble yourselves. Draw near to him. It's sin that separates us from God. That remaining sin. We will not be perfect in this life. Therefore, we're commanded to pray. So that we remember to pray. So, do I have to close my eyes to pray in the Holy Spirit? I've seen everyone in here, you all pray with your eyes closed. And I'm not saying anything bad about it. But no. God's Word never commands a person to close their eyes to pray. In fact, we have many examples of prayers with open eyes. Matthew 14, 19. And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass... Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. John 11.41, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. John 17, 1, Jesus' longest prayer in the Bible. I'm just going to read the first verse. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He looked up to the Father to pray. He didn't close his eyes. And we know he was praying in the Holy Spirit. Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven when he prayed. So we never see anybody closing their eyes, although we do it, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but it's not commanded. So back to Jude. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, what is prayer? One man writes, prayer may be defined as follows. Prayer is personal communication with God. 
This definition is very broad. What we call prayer includes prayers of requests for ourselves or for others, sometimes called prayers of petition or intercession, confession of sin, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving, and also God communicating to us indications of his response. So one man said that prayer is the ordinary means of grace that draws us closer to God. It's through prayer that we have this relationship with him. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. One man wrote, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet than that of a continued conversation with God. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet than that of continued conversation with God. You speaking to God, God speaking to you into your heart and into your mind. So what is praying in the Holy Spirit? 1689, prayer with thanksgiving is an element of natural worship and so is required by God of everyone. But to be acceptable, it must be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will. It must be accompanied by understanding, reverence, humility, fervor, faith, love, and perseverance. Prayer with others must be in a language that is understood. What is praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, we see a picture of Jesus telling the woman at the well about this. Because prayer is a part of our worship. John 4, 7 through 24. <clears throat> I'll start a little later. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and For such a people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She heard what she needed to hear. 1689 again says, Under the gospel, neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now restricted to or made more acceptable by the place where it is done or toward which it is directed. Instead, God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth, daily in each family and privately by each individual. Also, more formal worship is to be performed in public assemblies 
and these must not be carelessly or deliberately neglected or forsaken when God by his word or providence calls us to them. So prayer is a part of that worshiping in spirit and in truth. John 14, 12 through 7, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides in, with you and will be in you. How will you worship in spirit and truth? Because that spirit is put in you. You now have the Holy Spirit. Well, that speaks of adoption. Being adopted by God causes the adopted children of God to pray in the Holy Spirit, crying out to their Father. No one taught them to cry out to their Father. It just naturally flows out of the child's heart when they receive the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 11 through 17. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that he may also be glorified with him. So it's the Spirit in you that causes you to pray in the Holy Spirit. Has this happened to you? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? The Holy Spirit not only causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, but the Holy Spirit helps us to pray as we should according to God's will. Romans 8, 26 through 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even the Holy Spirit helps you to pray in the Holy Spirit. There's those times where you don't know what to pray for. You don't even know how to pray. And it says he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Well, if God's spirit is in us, why does he want us to pray? One man writes, prayer is not made so that God can find out what we need because Jesus tells us your father knows what you need before you ask him. God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in him can increase. In fact, perhaps the primary emphasis of the Bible's teaching on prayer is that we are to pray with faith, which means trust or dependence on God. God as our creator delights in being trusted by us as his creatures, for an attitude of dependence is most appropriate to the creator creation creature relationship. Praying in humble dependence also indicates that we are genuinely convinced of God's wisdom, love, goodness, and power, indeed of all the attributes that make up his excellent character. When we truly pray, we as persons, in the wholeness of our character, are, are relating to God as a person in the wholeness of his character. Thus, all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. It is only natural that God would delight in such activity and place much emphasis on it in his relationship with us. The first words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, acknowledge our dependence on God as a loving and wise Father, and also recognize that he rules over all from his heavenly throne. Scripture may times, many times emphasizes our need to trust God as we pray. For example, Jesus compares our praying to a son asking his father for a fish or an egg, and then concludes, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As children look to their fathers to provide for them, so God expects us to look to him in prayer. Since God is our Father, we should ask in faith. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. But God does not only want us to trust him, he also wants us to love him and have fellowship with him. This, then, is a second reason why God wants us to pray. Prayer brings us into a deeper fellowship with God, and he loves us and delights in our fellowship with him. A third reason God wants us to pray is that in prayer, God allows us as creatures to be involved in activities that are eternally important. When we pray, the work of the kingdom is advanced. In this way, Prayer gives us opportunity to be involved in a significant way in the work of the kingdom and thus gives expression to our greatness as creatures made in God's image. So you see the dependence, you see the, the love for God, 
and you see that we get to be a part of working for the kingdom of God. And all that comes through prayer. Jesus, when he took on human flesh, he always prayed to his Father. There's about 30 times in the New Testament that talks about Jesus praying or shares his prayers. I'm going to read to you 10 of them. Luke 3, 21 through 22. Now it happened that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So this happened while he was praying. Mark 1. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus rose up, went out of the house, and went away to a desolate place, and was praying there. Luke 6. Now it happened that at the same time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he was spending the whole night in prayer to God. You see, prayer is very important to Jesus, being in relationship and communication to his Father. Mark 6, and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Hebrews 5, 7, he, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So Jesus says, I'm going to pray to my Father that he would give you the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just assume that his Father will do that. Although he knows his Father will, he still prays and still asks. Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed earnestly for you that your faith may not fail. John 17, 1 through 25, read that at home. It's long, but it's great prayer. Jesus prays. It's his longest prayer in the Bible. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke 23, 34. But Jesus was saying, and he's on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even on the cross, Jesus had time to pray. It was important to him. Luke twenty-three forty-six. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. His last words before death were prayer to his father. So, if Jude commands us to pray in the Holy Spirit, this implies 
that there may be times when we don't pray in the Holy Spirit, or in other words, we pray in a way that God is not pleased. Maybe he won't hear them. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, Jesus says, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. One man writes, Some who say their prayers every day never pray. The formulation of thoughts and ideas along religious lines, the mouthing of words, the bowing of the head and body, and the repetition of phrases do not, in and of themselves, constitute real prayer. If the heart does not earnestly commune with God, no genuine prayer is present. The mere repetition of written prayers, no matter how beautifully constructed or seemingly sincere, does not guarantee genuine prayer. When the heart of a man and the heart of God meet in communion, there is prayer. Your heart meets with God's heart and there is prayer. Another prayer that God wasn't pleased with. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. You see, he's praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Maybe don't try praying that prayer today. Praying in a way that pleases God. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man was praying in the Holy Spirit. And God was pleased with it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus said, Pray in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
That's a prayer that pleases God. You can pray that every day if you meet with Him, communion, heart to heart with Him. Another prayer that pleases God, Jude 2. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Short little prayer. But Jude, praying in the Spirit, prays that mercy and peace and love be multiplied to the church. Daniel 9, 17 through 19. So now, our God, listen to our prayer. Listen to the prayer of your slave and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and listen. Open up your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any righteousness of our own, but on account of your abundant compassion. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, give heed and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's a prayer that pleases God. That's a prayer that he answers. So what about praying in Jesus' name? We always end our prayers in Jesus' name, right? Well, John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 16, 23 through 24. And on the day, on that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made complete. All right, so we're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? One man writes, To come in the name of someone means that another person has authorized us to come on his authority, not our own. When Peter commands the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, Peter commands the lame man, he is, not, he is speaking on the authority of Jesus, not on his own authority. When the Sanhedrin asks the disciples, by what power or by what name did you do this? They are asking, by whose authority did you do this? When Paul rebukes an unclean spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, he makes it clear that he is doing so on Jesus' authority, not his own. When Paul pronounces judgment in the same in the name of the Lord Jesus, on a church member who is guilty of immorality, he is acting with the authority of the Lord Jesus. Praying in Jesus' name is therefore made on his authorization. In a broader sense, the name of a person in the ancient world represented the person himself, and therefore all of his character. To have a good name was to have a good reputation. 
Thus, the name of Jesus represents all that he is, his entire character. This means that praying in Jesus' name is not only praying on his authority, but also praying in a way that is consistent with his character. That truly represents him and reflects his manner of life and his own holy will. In this sense, to pray in Jesus' name comes close to the idea of praying according to his will. So 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence we have, which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So that's praying in Jesus' name. You're, pray, you're praying under his authority, by his authority, and according to his will. So, is there a time when a believer's prayers may be hindered? The believer in Christ has the Spirit of God dwelling in him or her. Is there a time when your prayer may be hindered? Yes. Certain sins will hinder your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So, what do I do if my prayers are being hindered? What if I come to that conclusion that my prayers are being hindered because of sin or backsliding, we call it? The nearness of God drawing away from you. First, start with repentance. Find a pencil and paper. Ask God to show you your sins that are hindering your prayers. Write them down and repent of them until God draws near to you again. James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. James is talking to a church. He's, he's talking to believers, and he's saying, repent. Turn from your sins. Stop exalting yourself. Humble yourself. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves in prayer. Repent of your sins. 1 John 1, 8 through, t- 8 through 2, 2. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And John's saying, just take those sins, confess them to the Lord, draw near to God again. You have an advocate. You're not condemned because of your sins, even though your prayers are hindered. But you still need to repent of them. Second, go to the Word of God and focus on the Gospel of God, building yourselves back up in the faith, and this will lead you to a greater prayer life. As I showed you in the beginning of this sermon how it worked in the life of the Thessalonians, Let's look how the Apostle Paul, when he is writing the words of the Gospel of God, suddenly starts praying in the Holy Spirit. And this is how you turn back to God. When you've backslidden, turn back to the Word, look at the Gospel, and it will cause you to pray, and it will cause God to hear those prayers. Ephesians, Paul writes chapter 1, and he's writing these glorious truths of the Gospel. And then he stops and he writes down his prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He lists all the things that God has done and he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the full knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you see Paul writing these glorious truths, and then he just breaks out into prayer for these saints that Christ has saved. And Paul continues, and he writes Ephesians chapter 2, and then he's halfway through Ephesians chapter 3, and he's writing about all these glorious truths of the works of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then he again, he writes down his prayer for the Ephesians, and then he continues after that to write the remainder of the letter to the Ephesians. But here's his prayer, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He's writing all these truths, and then he says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.
So what do you do if your prayers are being hindered? Go back to the Word of God. Read Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Or any other part of God's Word that focuses on the Gospel of God. And you will end your reading by praising God and praying in the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian and you read that word, even when your prayers are being hindered, go back, read the word, and by the time you're done, you will be praising God. And you will be praying in the Holy Spirit. His word is fruitful. It will lead you to prayer. So let's end today by listening to Paul's prayer. He prays in the Holy Spirit for the church. Colossians 1, 3 through 14. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and multiplying just as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard and understood the grace of truth of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow slave, who is, faith, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, who also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge, the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in an inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son of his love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen.